Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. While not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful rash that can last for weeks. Wake up because shingles could wake up in you. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. actually going on with contouring i know that you take a blush brush and you go in like a figure eight motion on your face because you just get under the cheekbones if it's darker it kind of hides it so it means that the cheekbone above it will come out if you have a pronounced jaw like me you'll do it there because it means it's going to make it go away a little more um it'll sculpt your nose and all this stuff but like this thing st- i remember several years back when someone started putting dark makeup on my face and then smudging it in i was like what are you doing oh it's contouring but it was just like contouring light compared to now now everybody's drawing on their face with crayons like they're a clown like or our face is so bad we need to like fully sculpt and give ourselves plastic surgery on the daily like what what's wrong are we is something i feel like i'm i'm doing dial-up internet because i just take a brush and go around and i even have like a more specific brush so i'll do the 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 bronzer like under my cheekbone just to because it looks like this is what the kids are doing but literally if you look people are plastering their face it's like brown makeup everywhere in crayon and I don't understand it I don't understand it it's crazy does everyone's face need to be so sculpted and contoured are we looking for like Ken doll weird mannequin like sculpted edges of a face are we supposed to look like Grace Slick and David Bowie mixed together? Like, I just don't understand why everybody's face has to be so contoured. What, 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 why? Is it okay to just have a normal face or we only can have contoured faces? I'm just confused. 
What do you think about contouring? Is it that important? Am I missing something so major? I need to know what I'm missing. I'm not doing enough contouring. I know I can do more. I just bronze and I, I, I know I can do more contouring. I don't know how and I feel left behind. I feel like I'm still on MySpace and everybody else is on Instagram and, and TikTok. I'm still on MySpace. I still have dial-up internet. I have a rotary telephone. People are going to be contouring their vaginas soon. Literally. Contour your vagina. Make it look more sculpted. Your vagina, you know, it's it's too it's too plump. It needs to be sculpted more. You need more. There's certain areas of your vagina that should be pronounced, and certain that need to be hidden. And highlight it too while you're at it. Highlight your vagina, certain parts, but don't highlight other areas. I'm just not doing it right, and I just want to know if I'm alone or do I need like an, an anti-contouring support group to join. My guest today is the founder of Nasty Gal, Sophia Amoruso. She went from working at Subway at record shops, even as a security guard, and built her business from the ground up. She started Nasty Gal as an eBay shop, previously known as Nasty Gal Vintage. As the social media presence of the shop increased, the brand grew rapidly into the fashion giant we know today. Okay, so you started your business, um, Nasty Gal Vintage, as what? An on you were selling online what type of clothes? It was eBay. I was selling vintage clothes on eBay. Okay, and how did it grow to be so huge? How big did it actually grow to be? Yeah, it grew to over a hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, over what period I, of time? Ten years. Okay. Um, and yeah, I started it when I was 22 and I don't have any business education. I had never worked in an office. I had never had a boss. The only office I've ever worked in my name has been on the lease on. I didn't have startup capital. It wasn't even a business. It was like, I didn't want to work for other people. So I thought I could flip vintage on eBay and I did, and I got really good at it. And then eventually launched my own website, um, nastygalvintage.com and started introducing, new stuff. So I was going to trade shows and curating other people's products and people like loved my curation. They loved the styling, you know, nasty gal had a very unique brand voice and the creative at the time was unique. And, you know, this was in 2000, I mean, it started in 2007. And so I bootstrapped it with like my 87 Volvo. Like I paid $500 a month rent. Mm -hmm. I didn't, like have loans or, and no one would have given me a loan. Mm -hmm. Um, and I bootstrapped it from zero 75 grand, my first year, 250, 1.1, six and a half, and then 12. And I owned a hundred percent of it. And then investors came in. So that's, I, I relate to that. Cause I had a business called princess Pashmina in LA. And when you just said it wasn't a business, you, there were no words like entrepreneur or mogul. You were just Failing, selling clothing and making money. Pivoting. Yeah. No, right. I didn't know what any of that was. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm so the first now it makes a little more sense that you're saying the first year was seventy five thousand and then growing because I was wondering if you're doing those numbers, how were you literally doing it? Meaning literally the boxes, the clothing, because people listening here want to start their own business and, you know, they might be great at baking cookies or making a salad dressing or have a good tech idea. But to pit, to literally picture it, I'm trying to envision 
what was going on. You have a Volvo. So how are you shipping things? It was before social media. How were you marketing? Like what were you doing as a, as a new business owner that didn't even know you were a business owner? You're just making money. Um, how did I figure that out? I mean, I did it all in the beginning. I like every eBay seller, you know, and eBay and now Shopify and Squarespace and these Etsy and these different platforms give you the framework that you need to understand inventory and shipping and weighing and, you know, managing customers and like uploading your photos and stuff that when you had a website, when you had to build an e-commerce website in 2007, 2008, Mm -hmm. you were literally like skinning a site. You had to hire a designer. You designed like a Photoshop file and like sliced it up and had somebody like literally engineer the entire thing. Right. It was so much work. Um, But eBay gave me like the framework of like what I needed to know to serve my customers, to keep them loyal, to market to them. Um, You know, I was able to develop my brand voice there. In terms of logistics, it's like every eBay seller has like a printer or a label printer and, you know, you hook it up. Now you have ShipStation. I think I was using USPS directly. You slap a label in a package, you take it to the post office and then when there's too much, you know, when there was too much for me to ship or when there was too much for me to do because the business was exploding, I first hired someone who did the things that I didn't absolutely need to do. Like Mm. what is the best and highest purpose I can serve in my business? And that was the creative piece, the marketing piece, you know, the, the copywriting, but not the product descriptions. I couldn't do every one of those. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to ship stuff. I was still doing all the photography, all the buying, um, someone else steamed the clothes, you know? Interesting. Okay. So you um, realized that early though. I mean, did someone mentor you and tell you that, or you just instinctively said to my, to yourself, this is where I'm best used. And yeah. those are the weeds you needed somebody else. I mean, even I've, I've had Cheryl Sandberg on here and she's the number two to Mark Zuckerberg. She said to him, I want to do everything that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually I had a COO. Um, and I still had to do, I think no matter what you have to do things that you don't want to do, it doesn't matter who you hire, mm-hmm. um, or who you have on, you know, who you have under you, how amazing they are, how much you try to put yourself in a, you know, in an elevated position to just deal with the things that you like. It's a job. Even if you're working for yourself, even if you have support, it still ends up being a job. Um, and so, yeah, from there it was like, okay, I hire a dedicated shipping person and I hire a dedicated, you know, customer service person and a dedicated copywriter and someone to process returns. And it was like, you know, OSHA violation kind of nightmare. It was just like not a warehouse. It was first, you know, a thousand square foot little studio in like a sh- old shipping yard in Benicia, California. And then it became a 7,000 square foot warehouse in Emeryville. Well, actually it became a storefront in Berkeley and then we outgrew that. And then it became a warehouse in Emeryville. And we were doing all of our photography in-house, everything in-house, you know? And today you have these third-party logistics companies that will house your inventory for you. They'll ship Mm. it for you. They'll process returns for you, you know, manage all of your inventory. And that stuff wasn't as plug and play as it is today. And so we did everything in house, which in retrospect, I really wish we hadn't, or, you know, had the opportunity to, you know, kind of piecemeal out things that weren't essential to our business, um, like logistics, you know? Well, that's an interesting thing for business owners because many, and it's about your personal 
bandwidth and business personality type because for me, I like to be a general contractor. I'm not interested in things being in-house. I'm not interested in, and it, and it can be less expensive to do that, but I don't want that headache. And um, I don't think a lot of people even know that a lot of these resources exist, that you can sub out a lot of things and then really focus on what you need to be focusing on. So you were kind of doing more than you needed to do either because it didn't exist or you didn't really know how to connect those dots, right? I didn't really know what that meant, you know? Right. And I think controlling the show, like I just, I didn't know how to manage people to begin with, but right. it just felt more fluid to have somebody there like all the time who was an employee who was dedicated to that business and not juggling different you know, projects. And today with business class, it's a sizable business, but I don't, I have one employee and she's amazing. And everyone else is a contractor because exactly. I can talk about leadership. I can talk about management. I know a lot about it. I've worked with incredible leaders. I honestly think I'm okay. I'm just okay at it. And Likewise. like I said, I want to, I want to play to my best and highest. Um, and having conversations with someone every six months about growth in the company or three months, or they join and two months later, they want a promotion and you lay someone off and they sue you. Like, I just, I, I can't deal with it anymore. It. And I did it for 15 years and, you know, I, I love the team that I work with. I consider them my team, but they also get to go build their businesses. And now I'm a client. My first employee at business class was a full-time employee. And she left to start her own agency. And I'm one of her clients. And it's it's excellent. It couldn't be better. I, I, I agree with you. I, I actually, it's very, it's interesting that you say that because you can be successful at business and really not be good at many areas of business. I mean, you have to know what you don't know. And I find that the time suck and drain of managing people is not for everyone. And even in a way that it could be something so ridiculous. I, I might, my, my assistant's going to laugh in front of me because I didn't know someone that was working for me, get everyone off veterans day. Okay. That sounds reasonable. Great. It's veterans day. I, I, then on that day, only banks were closed. Like my daughter was in school and all my assistant's friends were working. And I was like, why is everybody working? And they're like, I don't know. We didn't know why you gave us off veterans day. Cause I didn't know like I, an HR and what policy is. If you're taking off, how much notice do you have to give? I'm not, I'm a free spirit in that way. So some people could be bogged down and fail in business because of the weeds of those things that don't mean you're a good or bad business person. Honestly, it's really like refreshing to relate to somebody on this topic because I have a lot of guilt over it because, you know, I didn't build a great culture at Nasty Gal because I didn't build an intentional culture and I didn't know what culture meant. Mm -hmm. and when you hire a hundred people in a year, when you're just like shooting from the hip, like a total, you know, accidental entrepreneur, it's a mess, you know, and in business class, I teach, like, you have to think about your culture even before you hire your first employee. Cause the way you two work together is going to be the way that it scales and the way that 10 people work together. And if that's not intentional and you haven't thought about what that looks like, it's a mess. I um, love that you're being transparent about this, by the way, yeah. because, you know, I didn't know the word culture either. The way I came up, I used to work for Linda and Jerry Bruckheimer as one of the 10 people I was an assistant for. Kathy Hilton. I worked in Lauren Michaels' office. The, my culture was the Jeffrey Katzenberg culture, which he says, if you don't, 
if you don't want to work on Sunday, don't, if you don't want to work on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. That's the quote that got him in trouble mm-hmm. because now we have places like Google that have work-life balance. I didn't come up in work-life balance. I'm 51 years old. I came up in, you fucking work your ass off. No one's counting anything and you kill yourself and you are successful. And that's how it is. I didn't come up in the time of every yeah. single thing. I don't being- relate. I don't relate. I get it now, but it's kind of, I have to like bolt on. Yes. And understand like what this generation needs to just want to keep their jobs, not even be successful, but like not quit. (laughs) And there's a lot of criteria. And I used to think, you know, like, this is how I walk. Like I walk through the office with purpose. I have things to do. Everybody has things to do. And the way I used to think was like, wait, I'm paying you sometimes more than I'm being paid often why aren't you walking as fast as me? I, cause it's not their business and they don't care as I much know, as you would. I know, but I didn't know that. People. I didn't know that. And that's not, that doesn't scale. That's not the spirit that inspires people. I get it. I get it. I get it. I really get it. But it's funny because I recently had a conversation. If you check in the way you check in in your own relationship, like you check in with these, these are wants, these are needs. Like as, as a partner, this is what I want, but this is what I need. You can do that with with staff too, or, or also be like, what page are you on? Do you want to go the distance here? It's okay if you just want to work and you just want a job because people want a job and I'll pay you and you'll do your job and that's great. Do you want to go the distance? Do you want a career? Not everyone has to want that. Or maybe mm-hmm. they don't want to be in this business. They want to be, so I'll have those conversations and I have changed in the sense that work-life balance not everyone wants to be texting 24 hours a day just because I do. I kind of, I'm like an elder millennial, but I've (laughs) kind of become a slightly younger millennial in the way that I want to live because I have burnt out. And like I mentioned, I'm spending a lot of time in Kauai and the way my existing business works is that I have sprints in the spring and sprints in the fall. We enroll students in business class for a period of 10 days and we're doing it right now. Doors closed. We kick it off. I do one Zoom call a week. And the content, it's relatively kind of like self-led. I log into the community. I talk to students, but I'm not teaching this live. And You're not so killing yourself. I'm like not you killing used to. myself. And then right. I have like almost like months off in between. So, you know, You're as stacking. someone who is saying all of these things about how, you know, I used to, I've evolved and kind of <laughs> burnt myself out in the same way. Like this generation knew that burnout existed and decided not to accept it before they burnt out That's and fair. demanded it. And it's like, I guess I paved the way for other people to see that burnout's no fun and show up at 22 years old and say like, I'm not going to kill myself for you. Totally. But at the same time, when I think about growth in a company or I think about bonuses in terms of getting ahead, like you get to keep your job for doing your job. If you want to get ahead, you do have to do extra. I agree. There's a there's a happy medium between there, burnout and hustle. Yeah, like you have yeah. to do more. You have to have ideas. You don't just do your yeah. job. Like you bring ideas. Like you find solutions. You don't come to me with. You don't just do your job. So, I still am like, you know, I you know just just doing a good job doesn't get you a bonus. The company has to make money to afford the bonus. Right. You know. So there's stuff like that that like might seem a little more old school, but like I've just blown so much money trying to keep people happy that, uh, yeah, there are definitely like areas where I'm like, it's a business. This is what needs to happen. 
Um, it's not show friends, it's show business. And you can have that be part of your culture too. You have to add yeah. value. You're not just here to be here and to push paper. There has yeah. to be a value add. That's like anything else. It is business. It's all about the Benjamins. Baby. You don't get to rest so, and invest. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So this is, that's a very, that's just a great different conversation that I haven't had here and an important one, I think too. And we're at different ages, but you, you burnt out way earlier and I do want for myself and for everyone around me a work-life balance where I create a fun environment and there's a lot going on and it's alive but then let's not just be working to work let's chill when we can chill so you were killing yourself and you didn't know entirely what you were doing and you were making money and then it sounds like the shit went sideways it sounds like a couple things happened the shit went sideways you sold and based on the numbers that it sounded like your business was making you didn't sell for enough mu that much money based on what you were making so there was either debt or there sounds like there's some yeah messiness. So eventually what, what there was down? debt I mean it's like I brought in grown-ups and I was like you know you've had a career at that point I was in my 20s you've had a career for 25 years I'm 25 right right you've had a career for as long as I've been alive you're an executive like right. I didn't really understand management I didn't understand that even c-level executives need to be held accountable and that just because they say they're going to do, they say they're going to do something doesn't mean they're going to do it or do it on time. Because when I say I'm going to do something, I just do it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that other people held themselves accountable in that way. And that's not necessarily. Uh, do you mean like taxes or filing? Like, what do you mean? No, exactly? I, I mean, wanna... just like getting things done, like just okay. completing projects, just running the show, just implementing an ERP system in the warehouse and getting software to talk to like other software, like whatever those things are, building the app, getting that out on time. You know, um, I don't, I was, I don't think I was a leader who really led an executive team to work cohesively. Um, I didn't you thought other people were going to get things done, but you weren't technically managing it. So you, I thought they were going to sure diagnose the, the business. Made. Yeah. I thought they diagnosed the business and go treat it. <laughs> um, and that's not always what happens. And um, I, I thought, you know, I knew what I didn't know enough to be like, I don't really know a lot. Like the, you know, I bootstrapped the business. I didn't have to understand the financials because it was profitable. I understood I sell something for more than I paid for it. I don't, I reinvest some of the money in more inventory, not too much. And I don't, I just like keep money in the bank. Don't spend all the money. That's business to me. I didn't, mm -hmm. it becomes so much more complex and reading a PL five, six years in for the first time, because I didn't really need to. Oh, I get exactly. I know exactly the what you're hockey, saying. The lear other I learned really quickly, but the learning curve that I hit at one point was so steep that I just couldn't, it was like this. And I was like this and I'm, I, I learned so quickly and it was just, it was so much. Um, you waterboarded. Kinda. Um, yeah. and so what happened, um, bootstrap the company, it was on its way to 28 million and after 12 million bootstrapped it to 12 million owned hundred percent of it. Investors came in and plowed. They said your company's worth $350 million. That's 10 times revenue for an apparel business. Okay. 10 times forward-facing revenue. That's not normal. Apparel businesses trade at like two times, you know, okay. um, revenue. So it was a venture investment and they priced it like it was a tech company. Okay. And, you know, they would expect it to eventually become a billion dollar business. Eventually we built it to $100 million in revenue at that point. 
they'd invested $50 million. Some of that money became mine. Most of it went into the business. Um, and so I was able to sell my stock, some of my stock along the way, uh, which in retrospect, had I not done that, my life would be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, built it to over hundred million in revenue, but, you know, sat down with these guys again, everybody knew more than me. And I don't want to, you know, I have plenty of responsibility here, but we were doing 28 million and then they came in and we said, okay, well, based on the growth next year, we're going to do 128 million. And we just round, we literally rounded up our projections by a hundred million dollars, like on the dollar, mm. which is just so random. And mm-hmm. how do you like, where are we getting these numbers? We hired a hundred people um, and it got very expensive. We rented, uh, we leased a, you know, had a 10 year lease on a, I don't know what it was. It sounds like a shit show. Hired a hundred people and said it were to do $128 million based on $28 million. It's insanity. It was insanity. Um, wow. Okay. My, it was hard for me to raise money after that because they had overpriced the business. Mm-hmm. So a typical like private equity guy could come in and maybe he would have valued the company at 200 million, but because they had paid $350 million, they didn't want to take dilution or, you know, in basic terms, they didn't want their stock to be worth less or to Mm -hmm. drop. So I was kind of like blocked from taking more investment that would have like funded the business to keep going or find its way to an acquisition. At the end, we had, we had venture debt. Um, We sales had kind of plateaued, you know, we had built a company to over a hundred million dollars Um, and there were opportunities to sell. There was an opportunity to sell in like years before everything ended for over $400 million there. And I owned 80% of the business. Wow. And there was a piece of paper, like there was a piece of paper. Here's our intent. It was a out, it was an outfit of clothing for urban people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and that was there. And my investor said, and I'd spent a ton of time with them. I had flown to Philly and my investors said, ask for more. And the deal went away. Um, so there's just like, it was just like, it was the highest highs and the lowest lows and the most fun and like so much drinking and so much travel. And like, you know, it was, it was like the best experience of my life. Um, and eventually, you know, hail Mary after hail Mary opportunity to sell, you know, cock blocking of investments, uh, from like, you know, potential future investors, lots of, you know, building a shitty culture, you know, um, layoffs, people hating that, like, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it became, it just became unwieldy. And by 2016, you know, we had an, we had an opportunity to either reorganize the business, you know, in chapter 11 and start again. And everybody's stock goes to zero. We refinance it. It is a business. It was a business with like a lot of revenue, but it was a business that was, you know, bleeding cash and, and had plat the revenue had plateaued. Well, that's very interesting for people listening because you can have a successful business that can fail. Like you had good products, you were selling good products, you were you you had money coming in, but you you literally 
we're we're swallowing and drowning and yeah. all this other stuff and that can happen to people. I mean, the last year and a half, I was a little checked out. I had removed myself as the CEO. I didn't like that job. I wanted to work more on the creative parts of the business. So I brought in someone to be the CEO for the last year and a half. I don't know how different things would have gone had I not done that, but I did do that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it was... Um, you know, again, Hail Mary after Hail Mary. I, it's hard to summarize exactly what happened. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I've talked to former employees and they're like, I think it was that person who did it or, you know, and I have like plenty of responsibility in it. Um, but we sold the company for $20 million. Um, which is, which it could have written it to the zero. That sounds Still sold a company for $20 million. Yeah. But everybody's yeah. stock went to zero. Like we sold it for 20 million, but it was in bankruptcy. So everybody was wiped out. And that $20 million went to pay de- pay down the debts that we had. Right. Um, and we sold it to a company called Boohoo, which is like a fast fashion retailer out of Manchester. Um, and they've kind of, I mean, the clothes are super cheap and but I feel like they've done a decent job of maintaining the spirit of the brand and it lives mm-hmm. on. And like, yeah, I had a great it. run, you know, when you start a business and you have investors, you can't quit and you can't really be fired unless you do something. They don't, they want you to be there. Right. As the right. founder, I kind of didn't want to be there. And I think right. of course that's reflected in probably how things wound up. Um, but I have to say like, and it's fucked up, like, but with everything that I went through, you know, exiting the business was a little bit of a relief. And, you know, I don't want to say that I don't want former employees to hear that, but it's the truth. No, you me. can be on a tread. I have, I have spent a lot of time streamlining things that I do because you could literally get so exhausted and please people listening who have businesses and you may not understand every detail of these stories, but like you can get to the point where you just don't want to do anything anymore. You literally want off the ride. You're not making rational decisions. There's real money coming in, but you want off the ride and you just want to do one-off things that you make money on, get the money, and that's it. You don't want to be in the cobweb, yeah. no. treadmill, the undertow, The undertow. Yeah, yeah it's You real. start a business so- and you think you're going to work for yourself, but you can't you kind of can't quit. And if you work for someone else, you can quit. If you do a project, you write a book, right? You write a TV show, you um, consult, whatever, you know, you do an appearance, you get paid to do an appearance, you get your money, whatever this stuff is like, and busting our asses and, you know, building businesses is what gave us the opportunity to be on this podcast and write books. And that built our credibility. So I don't want to dissuade anybody from doing that. But you have to understand that you can't quit like when you have a job, you know, anytime you start something, if it works, you're, you're like in it and you can, you can shut it down. But often if it's working, the opportunity cost of shutting it down um, or even selling it, then you work for someone else and your life is a nightmare. Like even selling your company sounds like amazing, but then you have like golden handcuffs and then you you hold into them. And it's, it's, it's another, it's another, nothing's owner. easy. None of it's easy. Yeah. None of it's you're easy. shackled to some, you have another, you're shackled to somebody else. I would say I wrote a book called I suck at relationships. So you don't have to, because I had learned so much from failures. And I feel like, you know, 
you have learned way more and are teaching people about failures that you've experienced. I mean, even this conversation alone is not about all the great smart things you've done and all the ways you've handled yourselves with, with, with handled yourself with perfection. It's, 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 it's undeniable. You had a great idea. You were good at executing it. You were creative. You were uh, ahead of your time. You're good at marketing and creating uh, a brand, but you know, you made a hell of a lot of mistakes too, which I totally relate to. I, I should I write a book called like caveat or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you, there's a thousand metaphors between like pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered and all that we could bring up that went on in your experience. So the, what's the whole bankruptcy thing? That was something that I don't know at what stage that happened, but what, what did that mean? That has to do with the $20 million because the company was in debt. What is a bankruptcy yeah. thing about? Oh, okay. That was part of that. That, that was, was all part, part of, of that. So like okay. in bankruptcy, we sold off the assets for 20 Got million, okay, which was mostly it... the intellectual property. Okay. So I get that. So, so now where does Netflix, where does girl boss come yeah. in the book, the show Netflix, yeah. that's where we are now so, in that discussion along the way. So nasty gal ended in late 2016. Um, in 2014, in the spring of 2014, I'd written a book called girl boss. Okay. And it was about my story building Nasty Gal, um, which was an unlikely story. It was like a very angry teenager, started an eBay store. You know, it was a mm -hmm. year after Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg, okay. you had mentioned, book had come out. And there were like literally the only book in the women's business section was maybe like Susie Orman. Okay. <laughs> like it just wasn't there. And my story was one that for every girl who wants to open you know, a small shop on the internet was relatable because there are so many unlikely entrepreneurs out there. And in the past right. it meant, you know, it meant you have to have a degree or MBA. something. And the yeah. internet made this possible for all of us. Um, so I wrote this book called Girl Boss that spent 18 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, um, became a phenomenon and a word that was in the zeitgeist that became like totally out of my control and amazing. Mm -hmm. And so the book did extremely well. You're then, responsible for that word? Like, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I didn't know. For example, it's so funny. If I order a margarita and then they say, oh, yeah. a skinny margarita. I'm like, I invented that. They're like, ha ha. No, no, no. I actually <laughs> yeah, invented no. that. Like, so I've heard, so we've all heard girl boss, but we don't just like, you know, I know that Paris Hilton started That's Hot. Yeah. And uh, Kirsten Sirianni started Fierce, but I didn't know yeah. that you started girl boss. Okay. Yeah. And I, I know did. the term and I, but I didn't know that you started the term. Totally. That. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm responsible for that. <laughs> um, and you know, Charlize Theron got a copy of it and WME, my agency, my agency put us in touch and we had a meeting and we were like, cool, let's, she has a production company and we were like, great, let's do this. Let's find someone to write it. Let's find a showrunner. Found Kay Cannon who had written Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2. Found a director, Christian Ditter, who was great. Um, took it to Netflix and they bought it in the room and they sent it straight to um, what's it called? Not development, like production. Like they right. sent it straight to, they didn't make us do a pilot. Got it. Um, yeah. And straight they cast. Series. Yeah. And so basically yeah. there's a show on Netflix one season uh, where there's a girl named Sophia in San Francisco, starting an eBay store called nasty gal working in the lobby of an art school, which was my last job, um, you know, stealing shit, which is what I did. And, um, and 
you know, by the end of the first season, she's launched her eBay store and like sells out of everything, which, you know, or she launches her website. Uh, she leaves eBay, launches her website and sells out of everything. And it's like, wow. Um, so that was wild, you know? And I think, I mean, again, like I knew that could have gone any number of directions. The show came out four months after nasty all fell apart, not good timing. <laughs> right. And it was, you know, in November of 2016 was when Trump won and Hillary lost the women's mm-hmm. movement started the word girl boss and a show about like an angry girl, just like a white girl, privileged white girl being like, you know, angry and an unlikable character in a show called girl boss, not being an example of women in the workplace was like, it was just like, it was like held to a different standard. Oh, My right. story had changed. So here I am in 2017, four months after leaving my company and there's 130 million people in, I don't know what, 195 countries uh, watching a show with a person named Sophia building a company called Nasty Gal when I was no longer involved. So I'm trying to move on and the whole world is finding out about Nasty Gal and my story. And it was just like, also in 2016, prior to the bankruptcy, my husband of a year left me and I was on the cover of Forbes. Oh my God. So it was like 26, you know, 2016, like cover of Forbes. Cause my stock was worth a lot. Right. Um, husband bailed. Uh, that was the summer company fell apart. In November Netflix series came out April of 2017. Like that year was such a mind fuck. Um, and well, I mean, it's like being back at your company again when you have 50 things coming at you and it's a shit show. It's just a different shit show. That's unbelievable. It was just total whiplash. Wow. Um, yeah. An, yeah, that yeah. is. Okay, wow. <laughs> so that when did that whole storm pass? And like you got to like reinvent and be a new person and just like not feel yeah. all of that. Pretty immediately because I got up and I started a company called Girl Boss and I held a conference called the Girl Boss Rally. And I did that in March, actually before the Netflix series. Um, I hadn't, I raised a little bit of money um, and had a conference with 500 women called the Girl Boss uh, Rally. Eventually, you know, had 25 people. Um, built that to maybe like 5 million in revenue over the course of a few years and sold that at the end of 2019, right before the pandemic. So it was, I had a podcast for five years called Girl Boss Radio. So that was part of it. We had a newsletter, we worked with brands. So we did like large brand partnerships that lived across, you know, the newsletter, my podcast, it was all kind of integrated in like the different Mm -hmm. properties that we had, including the conference and experiential or events was a large part of that. Um, and then the pandemic happened. So I'd sold the company, was still in the company. Pandemic happened, revenue, brands pulled all their dollars. Brands weren't sponsoring right. anything. No. It was a mess. No, no, no. There was people right. in fucking trucks in New York. Right, right. You know? Um, and so the company actually sold again and I left. I was just like, I'm not starting my company over. I could have stayed, but I'm just, I'm selfish enough at this point to be like, I'm not going to martyr myself and found my own company again. Like if some, you know, I just, as a founder, I, you know, I always feel like I have to stay and I have to be, I'm so passionate that like I would do anything and die Die and start over. And no, I'm just not, I don't do that. Like I don't do that. And, um, 
and then went on to start business class, which is very digital, very, you know, the content's digital, the community's digital. I market it digitally, you know, um, and I'm working directly with my audience rather than, you know, I don't have investors. I bootstrapped it. I don't have stakeholders. I have one employee, you know, nobody's really affected by what I do other than my end, like my community. And so if they're happy and they're loving business class, that's all that matters. And so there's not this like different masters, like investors and employees and, you know, brand You're not on a treadmill. You can you know, do an event and oh, yeah. you don't have to do one. You can do one, engage people, have a conversation, or you don't have to have a conversation. You're not, yeah. you don't owe anybody anything except for what you, you know, like yeah. a good relationship. Yeah. Wow. What an, and I, I imagine you're sharing all of these stories with them and like, yeah. it's just, a, you know, yeah. wow. I, I understand a lot of what you were saying. I, I mean, the spirit of it and uh, the mistakes of it and the shackles of it. And I think that the overall takeaway is that people need to understand their own business style, what they want their business culture to be, who they want to surround themselves with, and also understand that the chess game can get complicated. Like you were talking about more and more tentacles being like wrapped around you. Like you had more doing one thing, you put one foot in front of the other, and then all of a sudden you're in some woods. Sometimes it's good to be on a journey and you end up somewhere great. Sometimes you get like stuck in the middle of a deep, dark forest and you don't know how to get out. You're swimming halfway from Cuba to Florida and you have no idea whether to keep going or to go back. You're just drowning. It hap- mm-hmm. It can happen. And it's that's a cautionary tale for business. And I really do understand it. And people have to take their own temperatures and not get in too deep because truthfully pigs do get fat and hogs get slaughtered. You get in too deep and everything sounds good and you, and you could drown. So I think that's very different conversation than we've had on the show and super important. Honestly, yeah. what an amazing story. Thanks. Really. But I wouldn't have changed anything, you know, cause you know, I, I've kind of viewed my experience as an opportunity to learn about myself. So how I am as a leader maybe the way I am in a relationship, you know, like the feedback I get, you know, from my employees, even if I don't like it, sometimes it's an opportunity for me to learn, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's just been like, I wouldn't trade any of it. Um, and I want, I say yes to things, even when I know they may not work out like a Netflix series or, you know, raising a ton of money, I probably could have sold my business for a hundred million dollars when I owned a hundred percent of it, you know, and been like, you're on the journey. You're just being a free, you know? And you so are. I guess I kind of, and this feels really cavalier and maybe as I get older, I don't necessarily, I'm not making decisions like this, but I've always thought, you know, if I can look back on my life and it's like an entertaining story or it would make a good book or it would make good content, <laughs> like I'll say yes to it. Um, but that kind of gets old and now I'm, you know, I'll be 38 in a few weeks and I'm thinking about the rest of my life and my mortality is kind of kicking in and do I want a family? Do I want to just travel the world? Do I like, I can do anything. I'm single for the first time in like a decade. Wow. I'm going on dates. Nobody's taking me on, I mean, boyfriends, but like, I've never dated, like I've never gone on dates with strangers. And so I'm like literally a month into, I'm four months out of a relationship but I'm like, it's just like a totally weird, fresh, ripe, you know, transitional time for me. And yeah, I'm, I, I think you should eat, pray, love it. Once you get entangled in 
having kids and being on that road and you'll have new tentacles on, yeah. you'll have a new master yeah. and that doesn't sound like something you like and you do have time. I would, just because you said it, now it's out there. Mm-hmm. So I would travel the world. I would, I mean, I, yeah. you know, I want to take my, I would love to take my daughter out of school, homeschool her and just be like, go live in Italy for six months and make pasta. Like I have a free yeah. spirit vibe. <laughs> and my assistant's always saying, yeah. you can't do that. You have to come back. You can't get that. You have to come back. You got to yeah. do that. You can't go you there. Do you do eventually. I booked an airline ticket on April 29th to go to Europe on a whim. So I'm going at the end of next month. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't have anything booked, but I pinged my friend who I know is like staying in Lake Como. And he was like, he's like actually living there Wow! and has like guest bedrooms. And it's like, just come like stay here as long as you want. So speaking Perfect. of Italy, I'm just like, Perfect. I'm going to get on Raya in like Paris and see, I love it. see who likes me. Yay. That's awesome. Um, wow. Well, what an interesting person. What an interesting conversation. I appreciate you being so transparent. I can't wait to hear what you work on next and where you end up eating and praying and loving after Italy. So, uh, I appreciate it. I can't wait to tell Andy I met you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice to finally meet you. I liked your show. I like your spirit and your attitude. And I've always just kind of from a distance related to you in some weird way. So it's nice to meet you. Well, thank you. Nice to meet yeah. you too. If you yeah. end up in Poland, you can go visit our warehouse for Be Strong because we have like, you know, a lot of relief work. So if you end up having that be part of your prey journey, let me know. Okay. But it was really nice to meet you. And nice thank to meet you, you so too. Much. Yeah. Thanks uh, for oh, having wait. Me. I guess Rose and Thorn, what your Rose and Thorn of the whole thing was. Uh, of low, the whole of experience? Your, of your business. Yeah. Your business. My business. I mean, <sighs> I mean, the Rose is having like the best ex- a life that I could never have imagined. Okay. Overshot and I still do, but like that trip, that trip, just that whole trip is mm-hmm. doesn't happen. And then Thorn just loss, you know, and outrunning it, starting another business and girl boss and trying to stay relevant and aging. And <laughs> I mean, I could go on, but I think like, like- outrunning, pain and loss Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I keep moving and Mm -hmm. I'm in this time where it's like creeping in and I'm processing it and I'm learning a lot about myself and I'm gonna you know what worked you know what worked what got me here won't get me there got it okay awesome thank you so much yeah thank you awesome have a great day all right bye you too Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Macy's makes it easy for your little ones to buy a present for you for Mother's Day. Bryn loves to shop but sometimes has a hard time figuring out what to get me. I have confidence that Macy's Gift Finder will be a great guide for her. Something for everyone at every price point. Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, it's so easy to shop. You can shop by price, category, or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and gifts for grandma. Plus, Macy's has top gifts like Beats headphones, digital photo frames, Polaroid camera, and Samsung Smart TV, the frame. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. 
You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Imagine the feeling of pulsing electric shocks. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. So that was really interesting. Hearing about people's crazy non-traditional journeys to success and failure is so important. And Sophia was very transparent about her mistakes and her failures. And a lot of the people on here are so major and have been so successful that they don't really talk about the granular details of the failures and mistakes. And for any of you who want to start a business or who have a business, I think these are such important cautionary tales. You do not know. You can get caught in the web and in quicksand. And as quickly as you can be successful, you can get pulled down and drown. It's more common than not. I mean, I know of brands that have been around and been the hottest thing for a couple of years and they're doing well and they're making money and they have to expand and then they drown. I mean, brands that are on top of the world and then something happens like a pandemic and then they drown. So hearing about people's mistakes is really critical. And I just like this talk because it's so different. So that was, I'm grateful for, for that conversation that I, 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 I'm grateful for you to have that information. So there has been controversy around words like girl boss, right? So it started as feminism and then it became, wait a second, why do we have to call out that it's a girl boss? I've never loved that kind of boss bitch, boss babe, all that stuff. That's just not my brand of person. I'm just a person that's successful. It doesn't matter if I'm a man or a woman, but I do understand how women 
have been behind the eight ball. They've been paid less. They haven't had the same opportunities. So when someone's a girl who's a boss, they want to shout it out. And that might be a little dated now, but you can't always be current with the vernacular. I came up with a brand called Skinny Girl. That is not the most popular thing in certain sections, meaning I'm not calling my swimwear brand Skinny Girl. That's not what I want to be doing. Popcorn, great. Salad dressing, wonderful. Bathing suits, no. So you got to, you know, ebb and flow and the times will change. So not every term or word will be current and popular. But it's undeniable that Sophia took a lot of chances at a very young age. Very, very interesting. I appreciate you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe and keep listening. We are killing it. We're doing really, really well. Uh, We keep growing. So more fun news to come. But thank you. Have a great day. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.